Do you give heed to our laws for regulating the fight? Rule one. If wounded or captured whole, and butt of musket or hilt of sword be turned to me, he will be saved. Rule two. If any Pagaya, being a soldier by name, shall be traveling unarmed and beaten, he will be captured and handed over to the direction of the law. This mixed force of British uh, troops was backed up by a reserve force of some 600, uh, what was called the, the Waikato Militia. Um, the militia had in its ranks uh, both locals and a lot of recruits from Australia, um, drawn to New Zealand by promises of land in return for military service. So the life of Tekoti was embodied in prophecies in the Old Testament, the story about the vicar and his wife arguing the pros and cons of having this intelligent young man in their school, what they were going to do with it. After nearly 50 years of neglect, Pākehā New Zealanders began remembering the wars fought on their own shores, and in part that could be seen to reflect a, a nostalgia for the pioneering period of the 19th century that had passed. Um, veterans of the wars were reaching the final years and there was a, a desire to capture their stories before it was too late. That when they came home, he moved to katoa almost of rata. They didn't want to talk about the war. They would only talk about the war in the pub, so if you were lucky to be at the RSA and crept up behind a group of 28 Māori Battalion veterans, you could hear what they were talking about. But otherwise, they did not tell you. And I think it's important, if we are to, to, mem to think about the memory of war, that we understand and know what they're doing. And so Monty uh, Suter's book, Ngātama Tōa, my book on Ake Ake Kiakahe on B Company, and Harawira Peerless's book on D Company, are those kinds of ways that we can record that memory and we can pass it on to the next generation. The inaugural New Zealand Land Wars National Day of Commemorations, Ora Maumahara, took place on October the 28th. The date coincides with the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1835. Te Pūtake a symposium about wars and conflicts in New Zealand, was hosted by Whakatane-based tertiary institution Te Whariwānanga o Awanuyarangi. Historians and experts talked about their research into conflict between Māori and British forces. Speakers included author Dr Vincent O'Malley, Buddy McKayde, Shay Wilson, Hardy Williams, Harawira Peerless and Calvin Day. For the next few weeks here on Tiahika, we will broadcast the corridor or the discussions and insights into their research. Sir Widow Gardner is an historian and author and former senior public servant. He spent 20 years with the New Zealand Army and retired in the early 1980s with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Today, he sits on the Council of Te Whariwānanga o Awanuyarangi and is Chair of Te Pūtake Otiriri Committee, who administer funds for New Zealand Land Wars commemorative events. I'm Justine Murray and you're listening to Tiahika on RNZ National. Te Pūtake o te riri, 
War and Conflict Symposium. Here's this week's speaker, Sirwira Gardner. My issues are about personal reflections, and I want to do three things, really. I want to address the issue of why we commemorate war, how we commemorate war, and then bring it down to the issue of the New Zealand wars. And the reason I want to contextualise the issues of war and conflict and why we remember war and how we remember war is because war is an extraordinarily complex issue. Uh, It is is hugely divisive, it is potentially hugely destructive, and it disrupts entire societies and entire fabrics of societies, which is why we have to address these things uh, in, in its much broader scope. But before I do that, let me just turn to the recent commemoration of the centenary of Passchendaele, uh, which was commemorated on the 12th of October, and it was the, the worst day of New Zealand's military history for the loss of life and, uh, and the seriously wounded. Over about 900 New Zealanders were killed or seriously wounded on that one day. I'd have to say, if you put it in the context of uh, the Uripa that you see there, uh, the British, the French, uh, lost tens of thousands of men killed or seriously wounded on the first days of the attacks in Passchendaele, in Ypres, and the other ghastly wars of uh, the Western Front. And, but nevertheless, we as New Zealanders commemorated uh, the, our losses on the 12th. And one of the interesting things about the Passchendaele uh, commemoration is this. And I think it kind of signals a transition within our society about the role of Māori in war and about the role of Māori in the fabric of our society. So we had our soldiers huckering, not only Māori soldiers, by the way, but Pākehā soldiers as well. We had a wakatoa, and I think it reflects the incorporation of tikanga and ahutanga Māori within the defence forces of our country. Now, when Sir Charles Bennett died, uh, the la- he was the last surviving commander of the 28th Māori Battalion. When he died, and his tangi, after his tangi in Rotorua, the defence forces changed the symbol of the defence forces, uh, instead of, and they inserted a taiaha in the symbol of the defence forces to reflect the relationship of Māori and Pākehā soldiers, and particularly to acknowledge uh, Charles Bennett and the role that he played as a commander of the Māori Battalion, but also in his role as a High Commissioner and as the first Māori President of the Labour Party and the many other roles that he held within society. The irony for us as Māori is that the Defence Forces are about three steps ahead of the rest of society. That is, whenever a haka is done now, the entire assembly of soldiers does the haka. I was talking to um, uh, John this morning and we remembered our days in Malaya, Tarenda, Vietnam. We never had karakia beginning and end. We very seldom had karakia. We very seldom had haka. And to a certain extent, Māori soldiers merged into the mainstream of soldiery. Nowadays, we seem to see that shifting uh, 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 as well. And I think that's something that will uh, be reflected upon as we address the issue of where do the New Zealand wars fit within our history, within our society, and certainly in the future, how we deal with it. So why do we commemorate wars? 
Well, the first one is the vector, that's the person who wins, always wants to go, yes. You know, when you win something, whether it's Lotto or Housie, Housie probably more normally, you, you know, you go, yes. So you want to actually celebrate your victory. And perhaps the most significant battle of the Second World War, which paved the way for the landings in Normandy, was the battle for Stalingrad, which occurred between June of 1942 and February of 1943. And it was fought around the city of Stalingrad, and particularly around the tyre factory, which was a massive factory in the centre of the city. Nearly two million soldiers and civilians were killed in that battle alone. About 800,000 Germans and Austrians were killed, and about 1.2 million Russians were killed at the Battle for Stalingrad. At the end of the battle in February of 1943, the Russians collected a quarter of a million German bodies from around the battlefield. So when you think of that kind of scale, it's almost unthinkable that we should do that to ourselves. But if that had not have happened, then it would have made much more difficult the D-Day landings on Normandy because the Germans had to shift from the Western Front to the Russian Front many of the army groups. And they were chewed up in the Russian Front, which then diminished the capacity of the German army to withstand and hold off against the Allies in France, uh, in Italy, and other places. So that's the first reason. And the Russians rightly see this as the battle of World War II, and I agree with them. The other um, reason that we commemorate war is that we have to remember the sacrifices. So last week uh, I was standing at Suda Bay in Crete, and these young fellows from Whangaparaua Kura huckered in front of the cenotaph to remember their tipunas who fought on Crete. About 74, 76 of them were killed. Māori battalion soldiers were killed on Crete. And these young men from Whangaparaua related to mainly to Whānau Apanui and Ngātipurau, but some connected back to Te and others of, of us in Mātātua, huckered in remembrance of those that have given their lives. So you commemorate by remembering, by underlying the fact that war is about people dying and people going missing. The third reason we look to commemorate war is that we make virtues out of military disasters. So politicians, by and large, do not want to admit that the war that they committed thousands of their troops into uh, was something, was a waste of lives. So the, the Gallipoli landing uh, was a disaster, or the Gallipoli campaign was a disaster. About 100,000 Turks were killed, and about 30 to 40,000 Allied troops, Australians, New Zealanders, Brits and French were killed as well. So it was a disaster. And so the politicians in Australia and New Zealand created this kind of Anzac tradition and legend in that we formed ourselves in the crucible of war into the Anzac legend. And that each of us as governments uh, in our own countries, small governments in the beginning of the 20th century, were creating for ourselves uh, uh, an independence that we would eventually move away from the British Empire. So that's what another reason that wars are commemorated. Commemorations as well also go to the heart of the continuity of the history of a nation. And you want to remind yourself by symbols of what that nation did 
and the sacrifices that it made. So two days ago, I met with King Tuhasia uh, and two Australian uh, Defence Force uh, personnel, and the fellow on the far left with the flash ties, Tuiriki Delamere. And essentially what the Australians are doing is they want to take a kilo of, of earth or soil from the battlefields of Orako and Taranga at Tauranga, and they've got this big memorial in New South Wales, and it has the soil from every battlefield that Australians have fought on. And in 1866 and 1867, two regiments, uh, the 2nd and 4th regiments, Waikato regiments, were formed mainly from soldiers or men who came from New South Wales and from Australia. So that kaupapa enables the continuity of history and tradition to continue because in this memorial there will be the dirt or the soil from the battlefields of New Zealand. So how do we commemorate it? And there are a number of ways that we can do that. First of all, the victors particularly build big monuments. And these monuments are set in scenes of serenity and calmness and peace, which is exactly the opposite to the trauma, the disruption, and the hugely and massively destructive force of war, where you see millions of people involved, where you see millions of people who die, and many soldiers who are killed in action and are never, ever, your graves are never found. So if you go to the Urupa in, in Crete, um, many of the men who died in Crete uh, were never, ever identified. The bodies were found and relocated to the Sudabay Cemetery, but the names of the Māori soldiers and officers, uh, uh, most of them, uh, were never, ever uh, verified. So in Athens, in, in the Phaleron Cemetery in Athens, is a long list of names of all the soldiers that were killed. And so we have to kind of find a way in a society to remember them. Now, people who lose wars generally don't have big monuments. So after the First World War, uh, the Allies had massive monuments and the Germans had little monuments. And when Hitler, Hitler rose, one of, the, one of the issues that Hitler changed was the nature of remembering the First World War. He changed the, 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 um, the language, he changed the approach, and they built big monuments to the sacrifices of World War uh, I. So these things are political issues, by and large. So we have national monuments. Down in Fikatani, you'll know at the rock there, the bus shelter. Um, when I was a kid, we used to wait, wait in there for the bus to take us back to Tateko or wherever we were going. And very, I, you know, to be honest with you, I never ever looked at the names on the front of the bus shelter. But those names are, are of the soldiers who, who gave their lives, and Māori soldiers who gave their lives in World War One. And this gate is at Fakarewarewa. Uh, uh, memorialises the names of Wahiao and Tuhorangi soldiers who died in World War I, and added to that are the names of those who had died in World War II. So we have local monuments. And we have national days at which we remember war. We've only got two uh, in our calendar, and the first is Anzac Day the 25th every year, and then there's the uh, Remembrance Day uh, on the 11th of November, which signifies the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of, uh, the, at, at the end of the World War I. Um, 
There's been a debate about a number three, that is, how do we commemorate the Māori Wars? That's still a debate that's in progress. Uh, there are some who say we'd rather do what we're going to do at Tateko on Friday. Why would we celebrate, uh, commemorate a day with everybody else when it's special to us? Just as in Fakatane, we um, commemorate the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi on the 16th of June, because that's when we signed the treaty. Or that's when you fellows at uh, Pukeko signed it for us, John. <laughs> you didn't send a, 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 an email to Tateko to say that you fellows were signing the treaty. <laughs> So Fakatane Kitai signed the treaty, Natiawa Kiuta, we didn't. Nor did our relations up the valley there. So there's a question mark about whether we should have a, a specific day to remember the New Zealand wars. So that's a, a, an open question. Literature and poetry are a means by which war is memorialised. And each generation, we have a kind of revision of history. And that comes about because of new evidence, and it also comes about because of the changing attitudes of our populations. And so uh, we had um, Michael King, uh, we had Jamie Balish, Anne Salmond, and now Vincent O'Mallory, who all are kind of revising history uh, on the basis of new attitudes and new thinking and new evidence. And that's another way that we are able to enshrine um, our participation in war in, in, a, in a tangible way. And another way, which we like doing, by the way, which seems to me we like doing, is hikois. The largest hikoi was in 1976-77, when about 600 veterans, families and friends went on a hikoi across the world. And when you think about this, it's quite a remarkable uh, uh, feat, because people had to raise money, had to get leave, from work, uh, had to prepare themselves and had to go through this very emotional um, hikoi uh, to go with their tipunas to the wars that they fought and probably the only time that most of them would have heard about what their grandfather or their father or their uncles did. Because we know, those of us who are old enough, that when they came home, he wahamu takatoa almost of rata. They didn't want to talk about the war. They would only talk about the war in the pub, so if you were lucky to be at the RSA and crept up behind a group of 28 Māori Battalion veterans, you could hear what they were talking about. But otherwise, they did not tell you. And I think it's important, if we are to, to, to think about the memory of war, that we understand and know what they're doing. And so Monty uh, Suter's book, Ngā my book on Ake Ake Kiakahe on B Company, and Harawira Peerless's book on D Company, are those kinds of ways that we can record that memory and we can pass it on to the next generation. So let me just turn generally in my last few minutes to talk about New Zealand wars. Essentially, um, when I went to do my, my master's degree in, in London, I knew more about Prince Charles and the Cavaliers and the Roundheads and uh, Cromwell. Uh, I could, uh, in fact, I took my three kids who were then six, five and four or something, and Jeremy will always tell me that the, last thing, the most thing they dreaded all was getting in a car with Dad to go and see a battlefield. So I'd stand at the bottom of the road and I'd point out where the Cavaliers were, where the Roundheads were, how many charges there were. So I knew more about the Bells of St Clemens, Oranges and Lemons, uh, the battles for uh, royalty in, in the UK, and I knew nothing about the, Māori, the New Zealand Wars. And so... It's that kind of question that lies 
in um, seminars and symposiums of this kind is about how do we address that, and I'm hoping some of the solutions will come out of the speakers that follow me. But by and large, colonial governments had no interest in highlighting the fact that they had actually gone to war to deprive Māori of their land. That's what they went to war for. And so, at recent times, New Zealanders, largely ignorant, and particularly don't want to know about it. And yet, in 1866-1867, around that period, 10 imperial regiments of the line were sent to New Zealand. The largest number of imperial troops of the 1860s were based here in New Zealand. Not in India, not in Afghanistan, not in any of the many other uh, hotspots of the world, but here in Aotearoa, the 65th York and Lanx, the 40th, the 18th Royal Irish Regiment. All of those regiments were based here in New Zealand, fighting against us. And so that's why I, I, I don't understand why we didn't address it. However, it seems to me that the treaty settlement process, the growth of, of uh, iwi entities and the assertiveness, um, the fact that, that iwi are running their own commemorations like Taranga, Orako and all those kinds of things, uh, petitions and pressure in the last decade has built to an extent that governments finally had to start to cave in to recognise that we had a place and that place had to be recognised in terms of remembering these kinds of events. Pressure from um, all these other places saw Tūrūrō negotiate uh, with uh, the government of the day uh, to get to start to formally recognise that we needed to celebrate and commemorate the New Zealand wars. Uh, interestingly enough, consultation between the government and iwi uh, the leaders indicated that the day that should be celebrated was the 28th of October, uh, because that's the day that the Declaration of Independence of 1835 was signed. There's an open question on that, and, 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 and again, it's the issue of why would we in Ngātiawa want to commemorate uh, the battle that we're going to commemorate on Friday on some other day? So uh, we don't have an answer yet. I think we're, we're going to wrestle with that in our committee, but it's an open question. But the first of these events is to happen on the 28th. So the government provided $4 million, $1 million each year, which would be divided into half a million for a, nat a natural event and applications for the other half a million in lots of 10, 20, 30, 40,000. So I'm the chairman. The two Ewi reps are uh, Peter Tibene from Natihine, uh, Kafia Timurahi from uh, Waikato, two Crown reps, Michelle, CEO of TPK, and Paul James, who's the CEO of... Um, MCH, Culture and Heritage, and I'm the independent chairman. So that's our committee, and we'll make the decisions about where we invest our funds over the next three years to do these kinds of activities. What we really want to do is to get these kinds of events and bring the communities in to understand what this is all about, by education and by clarification. The interesting thing is we, um, our first action was to look at the name Ra Mo Maharatanga, Remembrance Day. We thought that was a bit sort of elusive, and we thought that uh, Pakanga in itself was too narrow, so we actually came up, Peter Tibene came up with the Putake Otariri, which is the basis of, in a sense, the basis of anger, which includes both war and conflict. 
Not all conflict ends up in war. So it means that, that if you're a community and there is a conflict between your community and the Crown at this time, but you didn't necessarily go to war, you're entitled to actually come to our fund and seek some resources to help you explain that to your broader community or whatever you like. So that's what the basis of that is. And I want to end up by saying that this is the first event of, um, of this kind. And I know a lot of events have been held informally or uh, funded and sponsored by iwi and hapu across the country over the last many uh, years. But this is the first where the Crown has consciously acknowledged that it has a role to play. I think we spend uh, tens of millions of dollars on commemorating World War I. I have a real concern about World War II. And uh, Hutterwood will tell you that in Crete, one of the famous battles of Crete was 42nd Street, where the Māori Battalion led a, a banner charge which almost destroyed the leading elements of the 141st uh, Mountain Regiment. And uh, we had two Australian battalions on the right, the 2nd 7th and the 2nd 8th, and we had five New Zealand battalions spread along this road, which is called 42nd Street. They had been fighting for seven days. They were buggered. They had no food. They had no water. <coughs> they had little ammunition. And all up, there would have been about 2,000 of them along this, this stretch of, of, of road. The Germans were chasing. They'd landed mountain troops onto Malemi Airfield, and they were aggressive. They were fit. They were highly trained, and they were going to deal to us. So they came trundling towards us, and um, um, they got close, shots opened up, the Māori battalion stood up and huckered and charged, and the rest of the New Zealanders got up, the Australians got up, and they all charged and pretty much destroyed uh, 141, or the leading elements of the 141st uh, Mountain Regiment. Uh, now, here's the point. If you go to 42nd Street now, you'll see a memorial to 42nd Street. It was built and sponsored by the Australians. So my point is that if we do not claim the battlefields that are ours, then someone else will take them away. I'm not saying that we're necessarily celebrating war to that extent, but they were our losses, they were our and energies, and therefore we have to make sure that certain places across the world in World War II, and I can name them, uh, Malemi Airfield, 42nd Street, um, Tobago Gap, Takruna, Osonia, not so much Osonia, Casino with B Company and A Company went in. Those are places where New Zealand has carved out an epic reputation for soldiery, for courage and bravery. There is no reason why we cannot actually start to invest in New Zealand to commemorate the battle sites in New Zealand, to create in the battle sites the kind of things that you see in the United States and John in the Vietnam War, the, 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 um, the, the wall that they have, uh, or in the Civil War, all of the Civil War monuments in the United States where they have uh, information, they have um, pedestals and they have interactive stuff. All of that is about educating ourselves about ourselves. So, kia ne, kia te 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 mo maya that we use this opportunity as the thin end of the wedge to drive through uh, opportunities to make sure that our collective history, because it's not only our history, it belongs to all of us as New Zealanders, is properly acknowledged and accredited. 
Silbere Gardner from Tuputake Oteriri, a two-day symposium about wars and conflicts in New Zealand, hosted by Te Whare Wānanga o Awanui Arangi. Thinking about me too, I guess I'm 